Well, hello, ladies. Welcome. Thank you for joining. We understand that your time is valuable, and I'm thankful that you decided to spend it with us. Um, we ask everyone to mute yourselves at this time. Um, but as our speaker presents, feel free to unmute yourself, chime in with questions. Um, you can raise your hand or put your question in the comments. So corporate coffee is focused on a purpose. Uh, that purpose is to propel women of color to positions of power in the corporate setting. Our previous topics were the intersection of relationship and career, financial health, salary negotiation, double consciousness, and so on. In this installment, our series on the well-rounded corporate woman will continue and we will be discussing physical health. I am elated to introduce licensed nutritionist and dietitian, Mrs. Jane Ujuatu the founder of Encore Nutrition and Wellness outside of Houston, Texas. As a nutritionist and dietitian, she educates people about the connection between food and health while promoting good eating habits. Her intervention helps prevent disease, uh, treat pre-existing conditions, regulate behavior, increase energy, and boost mood. Jane works with patients' unique biological makeup and lifestyle, and she plans a diet and regimen that facilitates optimal health, among other things. Jane holds a Doctor of Public Health from the University of North Texas Health and Science Center, a Master's of Science from Texas Women's University, and a Bachelor of Science in Human Foods and Nutrition from the University of Houston. She taught nutrition classes at Texas Southern University and worked as a public health and nutrition consultant and senior nutritionist for the city of Houston health De department. Jane is a wife, a doting mother and a highly qualified professional. So with all that being said, Jane, take it away. Thank you so much, Tony. That's a, a, a great introduction. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, she said it all. So I'm going to share my screen and we can uh, get into it. I have to say that I do like a uh, very interactive type um, conversation. So please, at any point, if any question comes up, Tony mentioned she's going to be a uh, man in the chat so please feel free to chime in or feel free to send me any questions uh nutrition is my passion i love nutrition i talk nutrition i breathe nutrition and uh always finding ways to educate and uh just help people understand about healthy eating and just how we can manage our health with nutrition okay so uh i also wanted to mention that <clears throat> as i go through the slides Again, if there's any comment, I'm going to get started here. But before I begin, I wanted to, uh, oh, there's a quote, at, uh, I believe it's uh, uh, Hippocrates that said it, or yeah, he mentioned that food is medicine, right? So food is medicine. So having said that, it kind of tells us that we have a lot to do when it comes to our food. But for this presentation, I'm going to be focusing more about women of color. And by the way, I'm very privileged and I thank you for the opportunity, Tony, for me to talk to such uh, beautiful women. It's always great to have a forum for just us women where we can just come uh, support each other and empower each other and learn from each other. So having said that, I'm gonna be focusing more on minority health and uh, how we can 
really better manage ourselves when it comes to the food choices we make. Because we know there are several reasons that or factors that put us at, at a disadvantage when compared to other uh, population group, okay? So let me start my presentation here. Okay, so the first thing I wanna go about is the statistics because numbers speaks volume. When we break everything down by numbers, it makes sense, okay? So for those in the business world or uh, even if you're uh, in sales, we like numbers. So when we are talking about different chronic diseases, and I'm going to emphasize on three of them, there's several of them. So of course, we have things like diabetes, we have high blood pressure, cardiovascular diseases or heart disease. We have things like cancers. Uh, we have lung disease or respiratory diseases. We have um, obesity and overweight. All of those fall into chronic condition. And of course, I'll be touching base on uh, the COVID-19 pandemic because that's one thing all of us are really concerned about now and how our food behaviors can affect that. So breaking it down with diabetes, we can see that in the U.S. there's about 34.2 million Americans that are diagnosed with diabetes. That's a huge number. That means one in 10 persons that you see moving around is diabetic. And these are diagnosed, not even undiagnosed. There are so many people or several individuals that we don't even know or don't even know have diabetes and they're just moving around until they end up in the hospital when they're having a, an episode or when they're ending up on dialysis and we're finding out that, hey, you're a diabetic, okay? And then we have another 88 million American adults that are pre-diabetic, okay? So when we're talking about pre-diabetes, typically you're gonna see a doctor, you go to the clinic, they do your hemoglobin A1C test. Hemoglobin A1C is how we identify whether someone is diabetic or not. And then the hemoglobin A1C says, oh, your result is 5.6. Now your doctor is like, oh, you're pre-diabetic. You need to start managing yourself through nutrition and physical activity so you don't become a full-blown diabetic at 6.0. So once you start hitting the sixes, you're considered to be diabetic, okay? And then we have one in three Americans that have uh, pre-diabetes. So let's break it down in terms of ethnic uh, and racial you know, demo, uh, divisions. So we're gonna see that new diabetes cases were higher among non-Hispanic Blacks and people of Hispanic origin when compared to non-Hispanic Asians and non-Hispanic Whites. So minority population are at a disadvantage when it comes to diabetes, meaning we have a higher chance or higher odds of developing diabetes when compared to uh, non-Hispanic whites and non-Hispanic Asians, okay? So for adults that are diagnosed with diabetes, the numbers breaks it down. We know that about 15% are smokers. So people that smoke, they say 15% of them that end up having diabetes. 89% are because of overweight and obesity. And I'm gonna be also breaking down the numbers when it comes to overweight and obesity, because we know that's one of the primary factors that leads to diabetes, okay? Especially type two diabetes here. Type one is a little bit different because it's something that's a genetic type diabetes. But when we're talking about type two diabetes, it's usually based on lifestyle choices, okay? And then, you know, we also know that 38% of those with diabetes is because of inactivity. And while you guys were all coming up, I was talking about how COVID-19 has really affected our mobility or uh, the ability to be out and have our regular routine. So we're seeing a lot of people add on the weight. So 38% uh, of diabetes uh, 
cases has been because of overweight or obesity, okay? And then we know that 37% had uh, chronic diseases. So chronic uh, kidney disease goes through stages. It goes through stage one through five. Once somebody hits a stage five, that's it. It's considered to be renal failure. You have to go on dialysis. So typically we want stage one through four for your doctor to help you help manage you so you do not get to that stage where your kidney is completely failed and now you're going on di um, dialysis. So 37% of those with diabetes end up having chronic kidney disease. And uh, I'm going to give a little bit of the reason why. And it's because when you someone has an uncontrolled blood sugar level, what happens is that it affects the kidney. So the kidneys have vessels that pulls blood and all of that. Blood goes through every single part of your body. When you have sugars, they're not controlled. It eventually affects your blood vessels to where that blood flow that would otherwise go to your kidney is not happening like it's supposed to. So it starts to drain the kidney and the kidney starts to shut down. Same thing that happens when we uh, you see diabetics with glaucoma or amputation. It's the same process. The uh, blood flow is not going like it, it's supposed to. Okay, it's 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 affected. It's not efficient anymore. And then you start having decreased blood flow, and it cuts out food and nutrition, leading to the death of that organ or body part. Which, in the case of the legs, it gets amputated and things like that. Okay. So here is like a graph that kind of shows that by race and gender. So again, just kind of breaking down what I was mentioning. So if you, I'm sorry. If you look in here, you're going to see for Native American Indians, they have one of the highest uh, amount. And there are several research that actually supports that. When uh, diabetes is one of the primary chronic disease that we see among Native Americans, okay? And some of the research has attributed it to several things, genetics, and most importantly, the dietary factor. But that's another discussion for another day because we can talk about for a whole hour on Native Americans and the factors they lead or make causes them to be one of the top people or subgroup when it comes to diabetes. Okay. And then you look at here, the other higher group are going to be your Hispanic population. So the Hispanic population have one of the highest rate of diabetes as well. Okay. And then the third one are going to be the black population, black non-Hispanic. So again, when we break it down by race, you're gonna see that your minority population, the Native Americans, the black or African-American population and the Hispanics are gonna be those with the highest level of diabetes rate. Whether can, we, sorry. Can I say something? That, yes. that, this graphic is shocking to me because for many, many years, I thought that it was more the African-Americans were the number one um, leaders in diabetes. So mm -hmm. have has the medical community seen a shift or, you know, was the information that that I came, come across came across at that time um, mm -hmm. inaccurate? You know, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm just I'm curious because I always thought that. African-Americans were at the top? So it's a great question. Uh, there are multiple factors that we're comparing. So if you look at the, the demographic trend, the way it's going, you're going to see that your Hispanic population, they're becoming the majority, okay, instead of the minority. So of course, with increasing population uh, numbers, then we're getting more and more people uh, from that part. Yeah. So the shift in, you know, population trend 
contributes to this, okay? Now you're seeing, if it's the COVID-19, the more testing we start doing, the more numbers we start seeing. Before mm -hmm. that, we didn't, we thought, oh, it's just three people, but we started testing more. So same thing here, we're seeing more and more population increase amongst the Hispanic, and then we're seeing that number increase in that population. Got Same it. thing with the uh, American Indians. American Indians, theirs is not population per se. It's more uh, research going into that. That's how we're now identifying. Because remember, most of your Native Americans are usually in reservation. So <laughs> most of them don't come to regular hospitals or things like that. They usually have Indian reservation or Indian health systems that most of them would go to. Now we're collecting more data and we're able to put in more money into those uh, Indian health systems and we're collecting more data and now we're seeing the true numbers uh, come out. Ah, interesting. Yeah. Thank mm -hmm. you. So that's a, that's a good thing about research. Every time we see more and more research and it changes the data. And this is the most recent data that was released this year actually. And it's for a period of from 2017 to 20, uh, 2018. But of course, next year, the data gets updated even more because the goal of diabetes, uh, diabetes management has been where money has been going into a lot, diabetes and obesity, because we wanna learn more about that. We, wanna, we know so many people are working around undiagnosed. So we want to make sure that we're putting the message out there that we want more people to be diagnosed. We want more people uh, to get the educational work that, um, intervention needed so they can better manage their health. Okay. All right, thank you. Thank you for that question. So this is also it uh, broken down, kind of breaking it again. This is going into the nitty gritty of uh, comparison between the Hispanic and Asian subgroups that are at higher risk for diabetes. Again, going back to the minority population. So if you look at it, it's talking about, like I mentioned, 23% of the US population are gonna be your Hispanics and non-Hispanic Asians. So it's a huge chunk of the population. So that's why you're also seeing the numbers being higher. So you have, um, they are at risk of uh, pre-diabetes and type two diabetes. And then now we break it down by specific regions or specific areas of the Hispanic and Asian areas. And you're seeing that your Mexican-Americans are going to be the highest at 25% of those with di uh, diabetes, okay? And then the list goes on. And then when you come to the uh, Asian continent, you're going to see the South uh, Asians are about 23%. So again, this all just brings the picture home that your minority population, when it comes to diabetes, we're on the higher end of the spectrum, where uh, we have more cases or more prevalence of diabetes than our counterparts, the non-Hispanic um, whites, okay? And we're gonna talk about some factors that are leading to this or why we're seeing this trend. So now let's take a little shift to blood pressure. We showed the numbers for diabetes. This is what's going on with blood pressure. So when it comes to high blood pressure, we know it's, again, more common. So you're gonna see this shift when it comes to diabetes, uh, the American Indians and Hispanic had the lead. Now we're coming to blood pressure. We're seeing that non-Hispanic black adults, 54%. So that's a huge number with high blood pressure when it compared to non-Hispanic whites. And when we say non-Hispanic white, it's a very uh, research way of saying Caucasians, okay? <laughs> so, uh, uh, but of course we have all these groupings, uh, racial groupings that we, you know, we go by today. So, and then uh, when it comes to the Asian adults, 39% of uh, non-Hispanic Asians have high blood pressure when it com compared to uh, uh, your Hispanics that have 36. So it's your 
Blacks and African Americans, you're Asian, and then you're Hispanics. That's how the levels have gone with our high blood pressure. So when it comes to better blood pressure control, meaning, yes, the doctor has diagnosed that you have high blood pressure. How well are you managing your high blood pressure? So we're seeing that when it comes to blood pressure control, that the control method is much higher when it comes to your non-Hispanic white adults. They have better control of managing their blood pressure when compared to other minority groups that have poor or poorer control of their blood pressure, okay? And why again, hmm? yeah, why is that? So again, uh, it's a number of reasons. Some of it has been attributed to what we call uh, health disparities. And when we're talking about health disparities, it's an unequal distribution. So if you go to an average minority neighborhood, what do you see? A lot of times they don't have access to quality health. They don't have access to good food provision. Uh, they may have uh, access to just convenience stores. And what do you find at a convenience store? Not the best food, it's canned food, it's processed food. So for someone with high blood pressure, uh, living in third world Houston or living in the northeast side of Houston, it's considered a food desert. They don't have very great access. Of course, we're not going to see better blood pressure control for that person because first of all, you're probably not even going to the hospital because they don't <laughs> have access to the hospital, uh, doctor to get the blood pressure medication. Okay, they get it, they're taking it, but they don't have access to quality nutrition that is not as salty or have a lot of... um. Uh, uh, unnecessary fats that's going to worsen their blood pressure, uh, you know, case already. So you have those issues and then you have the issue of culture as well. So some people are in denial culturally. They're like, well, this is what I, I learned how to eat. This is the spices I learned. I'm not changing it. That's what I want to do. So you have that individual self that fights against that. And then you also have the issue of insurance, money, so some people may have access, but they don't have the money, right? Mm -hmm. If you don't have a job that covers you very well with great insurance, then you may see insurance to be too expensive to afford. So you're not going to see your doctor regularly until it's an emergency. Then you end up at the ER. By then it's too late. So those are some of the factors where how why we see those difference in the minority population mm -hmm. as to why they don't control their blood pressure very well. Meanwhile, a lot of times, and I'm not saying in all cases, a lot of times when you come to the non-Hispanic white, on average, they may have higher income, they may have higher education, and they may live in better neighborhoods or have better access. And with that, they have better control of their blood pressure. So it's a lot of factors that play a role. And I have to also say one of the big ones, uh, and I'm a huge advocate of that, is uh, education. I, you know, of course, we all know knowledge is power. And that's why we're all here this Saturday morning, we could be doing other things, but we're here. We're trying to learn. Uh, when you know, you do better. So a lot of times uh, we've seen that education plays a huge role to where some people don't understand the consequences of high blood pressure. They don't even know what high blood pressure is or the signs and symptoms of high blood pressure. So it's another thing when we have to educate. So at least you understand, you know, that, hey, if I'm feeling this way or that way, it could be signs of high blood pressure or I need to do this or do that to better ma manage my health. Or the simple fact of I need to do a regular visit with my primary care physician because that's the way I can prevent or manage myself. That's who would tell you, hey, your blood pressure is high. What's going on? And we can do more tests. 
but so, you can have educated yeah. to do so. Mm -hmm. So Jen, can you just drill down a little bit on high blood pressure and what effects a long-term it has if left untreated? Yes, absolutely. So uh, I'm glad you asked that question because that gives me a good segue to my next slide because uh, high blood pressure uh, and heart disease. So you have high blood pressure is a component of cardiovascular disease. So whenever you hear cardiovascular disease, it has to do with the heart. Anything that's cardio means heart, okay? Mm -hmm. So cardiovascular disease is a host of different things. You're going to have things like uh, um, high blood pressure, arthrosclerosis. You're going to have people that, that tell you that, oh, they told me I have aortic this or that, okay? So high blood pressure can be as a result of different factors. Poor diet, okay? American diet, uh, a lot of research have support, supports this. American diet is not, unfortunately, uh, not the best compared to the rest of the world because guess what we do? We overindulge in a lot of animal and animal products, meaning when you go to your favorite restaurant, let's say a Texas Roadhouse, what do you get? A huge steak, right? And then they give you three pieces of broccoli, okay? And then maybe... <laughs> a scoop of mashed potatoes, but we should be eating the reverse. And I'm going to uh, touch on that as we go through our discussion this morning. So that poor diet is what's one of the big factors to uh, getting high blood pressure and heart disease. So there's some people call atherosclerosis. Atherosclerosis is just a fat, like unhealthy fat buildup in your blood vessels. And as that builds up, then it starts to affect blood flow to the heart. And that's why you start seeing a lot of people they end up needing like those bypass surgery because the artery is so clogged up that it's unable to really pump blood. So we're bypassing the artery to find another way to still feed the heart. Because remember, your heart is what helps you pump blood to the whole body, right? So poor diet can be a huge factor, okay? Specifically, eating foods that are very high in calorie, a lot of high fatty foods, okay? a lot of high cholesterol foods. And when I'm talking about high fat food and uh, cholesterol food, just because we're in Texas, uh, we, I'm gonna highlight some food. So we love our barbecues, right? Barbecue is good. <laughs> but when you're doing like uh, the, the pork belly or the brisket, those can carry a lot of animal fat in it. Those animal fat, you don't need that. Those, those are the things that lead to those uh, plaque or buildup in your arteries that can damage your heart. Okay, uh, when we're cooking and we're, we love our heavy sauces and we're doing uh, everything you cook, you make mashed potatoes, it's filled with heavy cream and butter and all of that. It tastes good, beautiful, but <laughs> it's it's killing us inside, okay? Or you're making a gravy and yo, you put pounds and pounds of butter in it. So all of those foods, all, most of your animal products, that's where you get your high cholesterol and high fats that can be damaging to your heart. Salt. I've seen some people every day, they get their food before they even taste it. Salt shaker is all over. <laughs> you haven't even tasted it. You don't even know if it tastes good or not. And then you're salting it. Or we like the uh, Tony Cheshire seasoning. Believe me, I like it too. But if, if you look at the label, the first ingredient is salt. So over salty, uh, salting food too much, over, overly doing the salt can be very damaging it can lead to high blood pressure because what happens is when you eat too much of salty foods, you pull in fluids into yourself, okay? When you, you're holding in fluids, it, more work, it gives your heart more work to pump through all of that 
and your heart is drowning. So think of your heart being in water and you don't know how to swim and you're drowning. That's what's going on with your heart. It's drowning in fluid. And now it's making it very difficult for your body to pump through all that fluid. It causes your blood pressure to be high. Okay. Jane, we have a question. So yeah. if you could just unmute yourself and ask your question. Thank okay, you. perfect. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So since we're touching um, on the topic of animals, you know, and eating animal products, um, would you suggest like going on a vegetarian diet, a vegan diet? Um, I'm asking because I've been experimenting like personally with diet. I'm, I call myself a flexitarian. Yeah. <laughs> there is, actually, there is a flexitarian. <laughs> right, right. So, you know, I started off being like a flexible vegetarian and now I've graduated into being a flexible vegan. Yeah. Um, but I just wanted to know your thoughts on, on that. Or if you think vegetarianism and veganism is just a better way to go, or, or is it just better to reduce uh, animal product intake period? So great question. Great question. So I am in support of all of it. Now, if you absolutely don't want to eat meat, it's fine. So being a vegetarian, a vegan, all great, or just decreasing. There are pluses or minuses. The pluses of being uh, plant-based is that, yes, you cut out most of those animal products that can be very detrimental to your health. But the other side is that animal products have some nutrients in them that your body needs. So something like vitamin B12, you can only really get them from animal products. So if you choose to be vegan or vegetarian, then you have to take supplements to help you supplement that. And other than that, you can really get your protein being a vegetarian or vegan you get a lot of plant-based proteins. You're fine that way. People get concerned, well, how am I going to do? You're fine. You can get a lot of protein choosing plant-based foods, just like your nuts and seeds. And when I say nuts and seeds, you're talking about almonds, pecans, uh, seeds like flax seeds, chia seeds, uh, sunflower seeds, all of them are packed with healthy, good nutrition and healthy fats and oils, okay? Uh, beans, all sorts of beans. Those are cheap food, but very packed with wholesome uh, proteins in them. So never worry about, am I going to meet my protein goal? If I'm a vegetarian, you will meet your protein goals. It's just, you may be deficient in things like, uh, um, your B12, but it's easily fixed with supplementation. Right. However, right. to, to also add on, I'm a huge advocate, especially if you're a long-term, uh, uh, meat eater to decrease, just like Tendeka was suggesting decrease. So I personally practice that. I'm not a huge red meat lover, just that's just been me. So I have multiple days where I go plant-based. And I like to use the word plant-based because when people say vegetarian, some people are like, oh, you know, but plant-based, it's a little bit nicer. <laughs> so plant-based, uh, meaning I'm incorporating, I'm consciously incorporating more fruits and vegetables in my daily intake. And I'm not making animal products or meat the center of my daily meals. So I can go a day like, you know, without eating any uh, meat. And some people are like, how is that possible? It's very possible. So for breakfast, you can have a nice bowl of cereal or oatmeal or even yogurt, okay? Uh, lunch, you can have a nice, you know, bean soup, very filling, and you get all your protein that way. Or salad, some people think, oh, just salad. No, it's not just salad. There's so many things out there you can do. Like, like I said, your bean soup, you can do like a nice uh, uh, corn and rice dish, okay? You can go to Chipotle, tell them I want some of the rice and corn and the, you know, the toppings. That's a beautiful, 
good protein right there. For dinner, same thing. Dinner, you can have a nice, you know, uh, dish of, uh, uh, if you guys know the chickpeas, you, you can mm-hmm. eat the bowl, you can do hummus with it. You can have it with like a nice bowl of uh, uh, your rice. Okay, people are like, oh, but there are a lot of the med- Mediterraneans, that's how they eat. They have their rice, they have things like those uh, chickpeas or they have uh, the making to the hummus and they eat it with the rice and you're getting a good protein and a good uh, meal. So I have days where I do my meat, some days I cut out meats uh, from my diet. So yes, uh, overall, I guess to sum up your, the answer to your question, we need to start moving more towards plant-based and cutting down most of our animal products. Awesome. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you for your question, Tendek. A great question. Um, Also, we have a question from Fatia. So go ahead with your question. I have a question and I also have a comment. Like when you were talking about um, the different factors that puts us in um, the category, right, of being the most affected by high blood pressure. And then um, I guess maybe second or third in terms of diabetes, because you said Hispanic and um, yeah, the, and Native Americans. And Native American. So I was thinking like, there's so many different factors that we don't think about, um, mm-hmm. like even religion, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, like I do workers' comp now, but prior to that, I did social security disability and I have two stories about that. And doing workers' comp, like there's a heart and lung bill where with first responders, depending on um, if you didn't have like high blood pressure or a cardiac condition before, but now that you have this job, it's assumed that we cause you so much stress being a police officer that now we cause your high blood pressure. And I remember that we had a certain police officer that we ended up denying his claim, even though he had high blood pressure, because even though he developed high blood pressure on the job, they denied it on the basis of um, negligence on his part, because the doctor kept giving him medication and he just would not take the medication. And then in turn, now he has debilitating high blood pressure and now he's filing workers comp and we're like, but you could have had it like at a milder level, but you didn't want to take the medication. And when we talked to him, he just seemed like it wasn't that serious at the time, or it was something that he could pray away and he didn't want to be dependent on medication. So there's other things as, as, as like religion, aside from cultural education that people are like, I don't want to be on medication. I'm just going to pray about it. And it's going to go away, especially um, I would say like in the black community. And then in terms of cultural and education, I have another example when I was wa- working with um, social security, it was a Haitian lady and it resonates with me because um, my family is from Haiti and she had some sort of like injury on her leg. If it wasn't a cut or something like that, this was years ago. And another Haitian lady told her to clean the cut with bleach. She stuck her leg in like a, a, like a bucket full of bleach and her leg got amputated. So to me, that reminded me of that lack of education and culturally that someone else is telling you to put your leg in a bucket of bleach and you take that advice. And now she was amputated. We ended up giving her disability because like she lost her entire leg. I, I wasn't sure if it was above the knee amputation or below, but either way, like it was an amputation nonetheless. Um, so I was thinking about that. And then I'm just going to round it off with a question um, because my blood pressure fluctuates since I was young. Like my mother has been on blood pressure pills since she was like 19 years old. Um, and I noticed the last time I went to my doctor, I think I was somewhere, which good to me is still in the 140s and 190s, right? So mm-hmm. I think I was like on 120 something and 180 something. And I'm like, that's amazing. And she was like, no, that's elevated. And that the blood pressure numbers changed. I don't know if it's recent, but even 120 over 80 is high. Is that true? Because that's crazy to me. Hmm. 
no like 121 or something like right around that 120 over 80 and she was like that's still something that was like if not elevated or something that was like pre hypertension i'm like what yeah from a clinical perspective you also have to understand the patient because elevated for one person is different from the others there's some people there their blood pressure has been high for their whole life that 150 is good so you also have to set limits based on the individual patient. But overall guideline for the longest has been 120 over 80. Actually, there was a time they adjusted it to one, I believe 130, 130. Okay, but as far as I know, it's 120 over 80. That's considered to be a normal blood pressure. But I can definitely check on that and I will get back with uh, Tony and see if there's any most recent research that have changed that, but uh, it, it should be 120 over 80. Thank yeah. you question, Patia. And let me add to what uh, Patia was mentioning. You are absolutely right. And I said, you're absolutely right because uh, one of my really good friends is uh, from Haiti as well. And of course, my heritage is, uh, I'm Nigerian. Uh, I grew up there for a couple of years. And yes, you're absolutely right. And that's the one thing that makes a huge difference. Whether you're dealing with people from a different country or just within the U.S. as well, you, you can see the difference between the West Coast, East Coast, South, North. Our eating pattern is totally different, okay? And that's what I was mentioning about. I, I get a lot of pushback. A lot of times when I was working at the health department, you're dealing with diabetes, self-management. They're like, oh, I'm from Louisiana. This is how we eat, you know? <laughs> so yeah, you get that cultural pushback, which yes, culture does play a huge role in terms of uh, disease and health outcomes in the way people... Uh, are gonna end up either healthy or unhealthy. And I wanted to put the map uh, on here, just showing the breakdown within the US. And this is not even leaving the US uh, area, talking about other cultures, just the US alone. The map, when it comes to all chronic diseases is very red when you come to the South. And then when you start going to the West Coast, Midwest, it's light. Why? Their lifestyle is so much different. They're more forward thinking. You go to places like California, they have farmers market in every corner, okay? You go to places like New York, by the time you get to the bus stop to catch the train, you're moving around. In the South, we're looking for the closest parking lot at Walmart, right? <laughs> we, we, we drive everywhere. We have that whole Southern hospitality and Southern eating. So yes, culture does really play a huge role. And that, again, like I said, I should have put that map in here to just show a breakdown. You're going to see that culturally within the U.S., the way we eat had, you know, has a direct relationship to the development of uh, chronic diseases. And again, if you look at the statistics, um, most of your minority population are usually in the South, unfortunately, South and a little bit of, you know, the Midwest area, uh, you're going to see, and those numbers just follow along. You're going to see that uh, with those chronic co disease conditions, it's heavily in the South and a little bit of the Southeast area. Okay. Any other questions? So uh, I'm going to continue. Uh, one last thought on the uh, high blood pressure and cardiovascular disease. And it's also going back to what Patea said. Yes, uh, just remember that some of these chronic conditions can also be genetic, okay? I, I failed to mention that. So genetics plays a huge factor. And that's why this conversation we're having now is very important. Uh, for me as well, I have a high blood pressure that runs through my family, starting from my grandmother. You know, at least I remember as far as my grandmother, I didn't get to meet my great grandparents. Um, uh, but my, my, except for my great grandmother, but 
even if I do get it, I don't want to get it earlier on. I want to delay the onset of me getting high blood pressure. And I pray I don't, but I want to delay it. Okay. So genetics plays a huge factor, but also there are things within our control, within our power that we can do to help us manage or prevent uh, getting those um, chronic conditions. So now that, yes, we we do have a question from, so Tisha, if you could unmute yourself and ask your question. Thank you. Good morning, ladies. Um, So it's a statement and a question. Um, I have been diagnosed with the high blood pressure um, here in the last few months. I have a almost four month old baby. And the first thing she says, oh, you need to lose weight. And I said, I just had a baby. And she goes, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm so sorry. But my numbers are like, the top number is two something and the bottom number is like, you know, anywhere from 130 to 180. And they keep letting me come back home, but I don't have any symptoms, like no headaches, no dizziness, no anything. Sometimes I just don't feel good, but I think that's just from lack of sleep. Mm-hmm. But you know, when I check my blood pressure, it's high and the medicine is not working, mm-hmm. but I can't work out because they haven't released me to go back to working out or doing anything for myself, like self-care. Mm-hmm. So how do I get around that? So you know what? Something very similar happened to me. I have a, a year and a half old baby. And after my delivery, same thing. I started experiencing high blood pressure. Funny thing is through pregnancy, never had any high blood pressure. So let me ask you this. While you were pregnant, were you diagnosed with preeclampsia? Were you having high blood pressure during pregnancy? Especially nope. towards the no high blood, pre- blood pressure during pregnancy. My blood pressure shot up the like four days prior to having her. Okay. Okay. Because that's the only thing I can think of usually uh, when you have diagnosed with preeclampsia, which is high blood pressure during pregnancy, oftentimes, even after delivery, your blood pressure can be a little bit elevated. Okay. So from a pregnancy or nutrition perspective, a lot of times the hormones are still erratic. They're still everywhere. Even you may think, oh, it's been four months. Postpartum is considered to be a whole year. <laughs> your postpartum right. for a whole year. So your body's um, uh, uh, hormonal functioning still may need to level back up, okay? Because remember, the things that control your blood pressure are hormonal. It, it stems from your kidney. Your kidney releases certain hormones that helps to manage your blood pressure. So remember, when you're pregnant, when you're breastfeeding or lactating, your hormones are still elevated, still kind of everywhere. So that may be a contributing factor, especially since you say you don't have any symptoms as well. For me, like I said, I had elevated, mine wasn't that high, but eventually I started leveling out. But I can tell you one of the things I started doing was I I started uh, exercising. Whenever you do get cleared now, okay? (laughs) I said exercise and I wasn't doing anything strenuous. All I did was just walk because weight gain, yes, it will make your blood pressure go up because now your body has added extra body weight that it has to work through, especially if your body is not used to it. Your body's like, whoa, now I have to work through all this extra body weight, then it can stretch your uh, heart out to where it's working more just to pump blood through all of that extra weight that you've gained from having baby. Hopefully over time, it should start going down, especially when you start experiencing a little bit of a weight loss, your weight starts going down, it should start going. The other thing you have to make sure, are you swollen? Do you have uh, your feet? Is it swollen? Nothing is swollen. Um, okay. I think 
I think mine's just hereditary. It runs in my okay. family. My mom yeah. had it and she was overweight for a long time and she had the gastro bypass surgery mm -hmm. and she lost a lot of weight. Mm -hmm. But because she lost so much weight so quickly, she kept with the high blood pressure. It just wasn't as high as it was when she was heavy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And no, I, the way Sorry. I eat is totally, you know, I don't eat like everybody else eat. I'm, I call myself a, um, um, what do you call them? I, all I eat is seafood. So okay. I eat a lot of seafood. yeah, I'm a pescatarian and I don't eat seafood every day, but like if it's choice of meat, it's going to be seafood. And yes. then I eat a lot of salads and I eat, you know, I cut down on a lot of stuff. And then when she told us that we had to um, cut the salt out of our diet, she told me and my husband this. He's still eating his, he said extra salt shaker you were talking about before you even taste it. That's him. But me, I cut the salt out. So I went on the DASH diet. Okay, perfect. And it was easy for me because it was the same thing I already ate. I just mm -hmm. cooked with salt in the food. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. I mean, that's helped me a lot. And then I've had, you know, try to get that implement with my kids and they're like, oh, this needs salt. But that's because of dad. Yeah, don't get used to it. <laughs> right. Because I cook a lot of stuff with like the no salt seasonings and things like that. So, I mean, it gives it flavor. Yeah. It's just not that salty flavor they're looking for. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I think yours over time should level out, to be honest. It should level out. It's, the one great thing is for them to send you home uh, and you're not showing any symptoms, then it's probably something where it's going it, to, it may be pregnancy related. And like you said, it's also genetic. It runs in the family. A lot of times high blood pressure, yes, it, it has a lot of genetic factor to it. But I would say just keep an eye on the blood pressure. Uh, it sounds like you're doing the, the right things already, especially with the DASH diet. Not too many people know what the DASH diet is. So the fact that you even know what the DASH diet is, I applaud you for that. And that means you're on the right path. So but just, just, just stay in tune with your uh, your either the OBGYN or your primary care physician to make sure you're monitoring the blood pressure. But I think it should level out as you go uh, more into your postpartum. Okay. You know, the really crazy part is to me that I lost 40 pounds. I had the baby and I lost 40 pounds within two weeks and wow. I kept the weight off. So I'm not really overweight at all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But she says that I'm overweight because she says my liver is fatty and all this other stuff. So I've had all kinds of tests done to figure out why my blood pressure is up and why my liver is fatty. Hmm. Another, another test they may look at uh, from a renal perspective is probably your kidney. Have they looked at your kidneys? They looked at the They did everything. I've had every test you could think okay. of to figure out what's going on with me. And then it always comes back. There's nothing. Hmm. That's, I think that's... I'm just getting old and falling apart. <laughs> yeah so hmm. okay well i i think I, 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 as you go into postpartum hopefully things will start getting back to normal i think a lot of, i'm my guess right now is probably just hormonal stuff happening okay mm -hmm. thank you no problem thank so, you for the well, question i do have this is renee i do have a comment yes. you know i do a lot of fish as well but i know that um you know with mercury so yes. um, is that also a problem that can affect, you know, um, your kidneys and maybe high blood pressure? And should, should you sometimes get off the fish? Because I know too much mercury is not good. Yes. 
So actually, if it's mer mercury toxicity, it can be very deadly. It's very, it's fatal. It kills uh, because it, it kind of destroys uh, most of uh, uh, your organ organs, mostly kind of like the nervous system. Okay. In kids, it can affect their brain development and all of that. So, but you are absolutely right. Uh, if you're a pescatarian, you want to do like a variety of seafoods. And yes, you want to be very mindful. There's several different fish that are not as high in mercury. So things like your salmon is not very uh, a, a high mercury fish. Okay, so right. yeah, you can choose from that. I believe sardines as well, but I, uh, there are other fish and I can provide this as well. Uh, if you want me to, for you to put on the group, it, it kind of shows you a chart of the mercury level of different seafoods so that you know which ones to pick from or which ones you shouldn't. But yes, overall, uh, you need to be very mindful of uh, overly doing it. And it just goes with everything. Yes, we were talking about healthy eating here, but too much of everything is bad, even water. If you do too much water, you can kill yourself, okay? So we just need to be at least to balance and things out. Uh, one more thing. I did learn if you check your ingredients on the back of your drinks, Mm -hmm. most of your drinks are high in sodium. So mm -hmm. you might not be eating your sodium, but you're drinking it. Absolutely. You're right. Mm -hmm. You're right. So I've changed that a lot too. Yes, absolutely. And uh, mostly your sports drinks, all those vitamin water, all those things. Yeah. Mineral water. So you have to be very uh, mindful of those. Yes. Okay. So uh, it's a good thing that we've talked about, kind of already talked about obesity. So <laughs> <laughs> about the numbers uh, really quickly here again uh, you're gonna see that it's highest amongst the minority population so uh, uh, blacks Hispanics are gonna be the highest people or group with the obesity rate when compared to non-hispanic whites okay and then when it comes to physical activity and the reason why I'm emphasizing physical activity here is there's a relationship between Inactivity, meaning when you're uh, being sedentary, you're not exercising your body and developing uh, overweight or obesity. So again, you're gonna see that your Hispanics had the highest prevalence of inactivity followed by your uh, uh, non-Hispanic blocks, okay? So meaning we're not getting out there, we're not exercising the body. And when you're not doing so, and you're still eating, then yes, you're gonna uh, gain more weight and then that leads to obesity. More and more research is going into obesity uh, management because it's become an epidemic, okay? It's a huge, huge e public health issue to where we need to do something about it. And uh, the doctors, everybody's all in on this, trying to make sure that everybody understands what overweight means and how we should be managing that, okay? So now moving gears a little bit about COVID-19. It's all in our mind because we haven't been able to really live our lives since COVID-19. That's why we're here virtually. <laughs> uh, COVID-19 can also be a direct effect of your diet. I know there are talks about it. I got asked this one because I did a presentation prior to this. And one of the questions was like, hey, so how can we prevent um, uh, COVID-19 uh, nutritionally? Okay. People are, I've seen all kinds of stuff on the web. Just know that there is no one food that's the cure for COVID-19. However, your dietary intake impacts your overall body's immune function. So if you're the type that eats a lot of high fat foods, you love your Southern hospitality, Southern food, um, you're eating a lot of like a, 
minimal intake of fruits and vegetables, guess what your body is, is gonna build? What we call free radicals. Free radicals are things that kind of destroys your body's immune. It kind of suppresses your body and it, it exposes your body and makes your body easy and prone to things like uh, and, uh, diseases, infection, certain types of cancers, okay? You get that when your free radical um, in the body is becoming way out of hand and it has it ties in into our dietary intake. Now, to better manage your health, you want to supply your body with foods that not only promotes wellness, but can boost your body's own self-defense. I use this analogy. When you're sending someone out for war, what do you give them? Guns, ammunition, so they can protect themselves. Your body's own defense or uh, um, way to fight itself is the food you feed it so that your immune system is top-notch. And what are some of those foods? Your vitamin C-rich foods. When I'm talking about vitamin C, we're talking about oranges, tomato, berries, bell peppers. Actually, your bell peppers have more vitamin C than oranges, okay? So if you love bell peppers, buy more. Red bell peppers, orange, all of them. Cook with it. Eat them raw, uh, fresh, raw, or saute them in your eggs or in your several dishes. Get your vitamin C that way, okay? Uh, other things that are going to boost your immune function will be your B vitamins. Your B vitamins, again, they play a different role. They help with uh, the way your body's metabolism on how your body breaks down food and releases nutrients to your body. So what you want to do is choose from those high rich B vitamin food. And what is those food? They're going to be your fresh green leafy vegetables, things like your spinach, uh, kale. If you don't like kale, of course, spinach, uh, you're going to have things like your collard greens, mustard greens. Those are all green leafy vegetables. Now I'm going to talk about preparation method in a little bit, because that also affects whether our body is truly getting all of those good nutrition from it. It's one thing eating those food. It's another thing making sure you're getting 100% of the nutrient from that food. And that plays a role on how you prepare those foods. Mm -hmm. uh, another, hmm? Jane, we have a question from Leslie. So Leslie, okay. if you can unmute yourself and ask your question. Okay, thank you. Okay, so Jane, you've been given some great information. So one of the problems that I'm, or challenges, problems, whatever you want to call it, issues. I have a 12-year-old daughter who is a picky, picky eater, mm -hmm. but then she's also allergic to a lot of foods as well. And so when I'm, it's like going to the grocery store nowadays is like really frustrating <laughs> because trying to pick things that I know she's going to eat, but that's good for her as well because she's doing school at home. So I'm making yeah. the lunches, but unless I food prep on Sunday, it's like, you know, throughout the week, I'm trying to do like quick lunches that are kind of similar to school lunches. But mm -hmm. what would you suggest as far as, um, you know, quick meals that are still healthy that teenagers would eat because she has an allergy to all citrus. So okay. oranges, grapefruit, all that stuff is out. She has now said that when she eats grapes, it makes her mouth itch. Now, whether that's the truth, I don't know, but I'm going <laughs> to test it at this point. <laughs> Cause we're not going to the hospital. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, she also has, you know, she's also, you know, we know she's allergic to peanuts and all nuts. So that's like, okay, that throws that hole. Mm -hmm. So it's like, it just seems very limited right now as far as, yeah. so I mean, just, just like, what would you suggest as far as just some quick, easy meals or, you know, for, you know, for picky teenagers that are allergic to half of the foods on the planet? Mm 
Yeah. So is she allergic uh, to dairy products? She is not allergic to dairy because okay, she loves good. ice cream. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good, good. Okay. <laughs> so the reason I'm asking that is that uh, some quick things and fun things that I know all teenagers may love this or uh, they all like pizza, right? Uh-huh, yes. So hopefully she likes pizza. So pizza, pizza is quick. And uh, I know when I bring this up, some people are like, oh, pizza. Yes, you can actually have her make her own pizza at home to where it's fun. And this, that can be a great way to incorporate a lot of the nutrients that we're talking about here. It did a, uh, the good thing is nowadays you can get like a fresh dough from the refrigerator section, mm-hmm. get some dough. And she can throw some, a little bit of cheese on it. Cheese has actually a good nutrition for a teenager because it's got uh, your protein in it. It's got calcium and the growing child needs those nutrients from okay. the dairy product. Now, the only thing I would recommend is maybe choose from the lower fat cheese, like maybe like a 2% fat cheese uh, or mozzarella. I personally like using a lot of mozzarella because mozzarella is made from part skim milk and it's okay. so delicious. Okay. So you can get that. Uh, some of the vegetables that she's not allergic to, like if she enjoys things like uh, spinach or mushrooms or all uh, olives, mm. no. <laughs> oh, I'll put spinach in her eggs and she'll eat okay. it that way, but by itself, no. <laughs> okay, she can throw some spinach on her pizza. Okay? okay, yeah, so throw some spinach if she likes that. Uh, throw some of the cheese if she likes a little bit of the meat. Yes, that's mm-hmm. that's enough. It that's okay. enough. Uh, she doesn't have to sit down and eat a whole bowl of salad for it to be that she's eating healthy, right? Mm-hmm. I think right. She, it has to do with a little bit of everything on your plate to create a nice, good balance. So if she's okay with just having some spinach, some chicken, and some cheese on her pizza, that's you You have a win right there. So just keep it simple, but... Very simple. Okay. Yes. Yes. Because a lot of times as parents, we try to complicate things. Like I, I said, I have little I ones at home. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we have to remember... They don't eat like we do, okay? Uh, they're, they're, they go and they go through phases. When it comes to kids, kids go through phases and it, it's very difficult trying to keep up with everything. I, I promise you that once she gets to her 20s, she'll probably come home and tell you, oh, I'm a vegan now. <laughs> so. I did get her to eat some um, some crockpot mushroom chicken, like the chicken breasts and the uh, cream of mushroom chicken, cream of mushroom soup. Go. And she was like, oh my gosh, this is good. What is it? I said mushroom. But after she did the little gagging face, she actually did eat it. So, <laughs> which I know that's not, you know, cream of mushroom soup is probably not like, you know, like fresh mushrooms. But I'm like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, but you can, you can enhance that. You can enhance it and add some fresh mushrooms to it. You know? Okay. Yeah. That's what I do. A lot of times I get, yeah, you just get some fresh dice it really good and that's, you can hide the, the, the food. Yes. So hide them, get some fresh, um, uh, uh, mushroom dice it really finely. If she's not allergic to onions, dice it really finely, throw it into the cream of mushroom. She's not, she's going to just eat all of it. A lot of times, Kids, they see it like visibly. They're like, oh no, I'm not eating this. But <laughs> but when you add it to their favorite dishes, then they get to enjoy it. Again, no food is bad food. And, and I hope you guys take this out from this presentation that no food is bad food. The one thing that messes everything up is how we combine the food or how we eat the food. So you can eat French fries, that's okay. But how can we enhance that French fries so she's getting a complete nutrition from it? Because we know French fries is nothing but starch, but she also needs protein. She also needs vegetables. She also needs fruit. How can we add those things into that dish so she's getting a, enjoying her French fries, but she's also 
tapping into other nutrients. Well, okay? she does like fresh broccoli. That was, you know, I, I tricked her back when she was two and told her that all ballerinas ate broccoli. Ah! So she loves broccoli. And, and it's gotten to the point where where like I used to like steam broccoli and she's like no I just want to eat it fresh so I'll just go like oh. every week I just go get like a stem of broccoli and that's what she can go to town on it so yeah. that's <laughs> okay. great that's all right great. so, so that's add great. ingredients in and continue hiding stuff okay yes that's and good. keep it simple <laughs> keep it simple you don't have to complicate matters for them keep it simple if she likes cereal cereal people are, are often undermine cereal but cereal can be actually a very complete nutrient as long as you're not getting like the fruit loops or the very sugary cereals uh-huh. uh, get them the same cereals you eat you know uh, i've gotten my kids to love honey bunches of oat and raisin bran of course they have a little bit of sugar but at least it's not um non-nutritive sugars when i say non-nutritive like empty sugars these are sugars that have nutrients in them like raisins mm-hmm. raisins are high in potassium and phosphorus so it's it's high in nutrients that's good for her body okay, okay. so those are the things she should be looking at okay. and i think that that's what i've done it's like i've, I've kind of confused myself because i've been trying to overcomplicate it and yeah you know covid cook like really really good elaborate meals and then she doesn't yeah. eat it i'm just like wait a minute what's going on <laughs> Okay, so keep so it simple. Kids, kids are very simple. Kids okay. are very simple. Like I said, I have my kids here. I, I try to make nice, fancy tacos for them. They're like, oh, no, I just want the cheese. Yeah, That's okay, yeah, and I'm okay with it. Because, okay. again, I know that cheese gives them a good nutrition. They're getting protein from the cheese. They're getting their calcium, their phosphorus, their uh, riboflavin. I can go on and on on the nutrients in our, our dairy products. And I'm okay. okay with that. Okay, awesome. Well, thank you so much. No problem. Okay. <laughs> Okay, so still talking about, uh, I'm going to summarize the COVID-19. So with COVID-19, I want to highlight some uh, things about spices, herbs and spices. And the reason I wanted to highlight this is that your herbs and spices are also very good for when we're talking about high blood pressure management. So if you're looking to cut down on your salt intake, choosing your herbs and spices are going to be a great way to enhance and add flavors to your meat, your dishes without uh, over salting it. Uh, some examples of things like your turmeric, your cinnamon, your ginger, these are all antioxidant spices. And these antioxidant spices, remember I talked about those free radicals? You need antioxidant to counter the effect of free radicals. That's what fights your free radicals off so that your body is not exposed to diseases, okay? So your herbs and spices are packed with all this antioxidant. So please do me a favor, go to the store, stuck up, uh, Walmart. Actually, if you go to the spicy session, they have the organic spices and they're pretty decently priced. So you can load up on different spices that you can add to different dishes. If you're making an apple dish, add some cinnamon. You like oatmeal in the morning, add a little bit of cinnamon. Uh, Make ginger teas, add ginger to your stir fries, okay? Add garlic to your dishes. With that, you're adding not just uh, flavor to your dishes, but you're also feeding your body with great uh, antioxidant that can help prepare your body and uh, build a nice defense in case there's a, uh, a COVID-19. I'm not saying it's going to cure COVID-19, but at least <laughs> it helps you to, to stay a little bit uh, uh, on the defense. It helps you to fight. And that's why you're seeing some people, they may get the COVID-19 infection and their case is very mild. That because their body is, is up, it's, it's ready to fight. So they get very mild cases. But for those that have very suppressed immune a surprised body because they, you know, they don't, they haven't built up their body's defense from their foods, then it leaves them open to have very severe complications. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. So we kind of talked about this already. Uh, I, I'm going to just quickly sum it up and jump to the next slide. And it's just some of the reasons why we're having this chronic condition. And I mentioned that, of course, with the minority population, we're talking about inequalities, uh, healthcare services, insurance is a big one, uh, income. That's one big one uh, we didn't talk about. Income makes a difference. And it's a great thing I'm talking to women because actually there was a study that came out, I think it's parts of Africa, because they're trying to look at why there is a lot of poverty and malnutrition cases in Africa. And they found out that those that are more uh, malnourished were women and children. And why is that? Because women do not make enough money when compared to men, okay? So we're often at the disadvantage when it comes to uh, getting that. Uh, overall, minority population, and when we're talking about that minority, even gender minority, when you don't have money, enough money, you have to decide, should I keep the lights on or should I eat? Okay, we need a place to stay. So I'm going to pay for light and food, and we're just going to buy a pack of Roman noodles for 10 cents mm-hmm. and load up on sodium. That's going to cause my blood pressure to be high. But hey, I'm eating. That's all that matters. So income makes a huge difference in terms of chronic diseases as well. And then lifestyle choices, I mentioned that. Yes, we have genetic factors. Yes, we know there are income uh, inequalities. We know there is lack of access to healthcare or food in minority population neighborhoods versus other population. But what uh, uh, role do you have to play your own health? Okay, if you're inactive, you just wanna sit down in the bed every day, don't wanna go do anything and you're running through the Chick-fil-A or McDonald's drive-through for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, then yes, it can contribute to you developing certain uh, chronic conditions as well. So lifestyle plays a huge, huge factor in developing these chronic conditions that we're speaking today. And that's the one area that I really, really want to uh, emphasize on because that's what we can do for ourselves. Uh, when it comes to the healthcare, it's more of a systems thing. That's why we all went out and voted. So we are expecting our policymakers to change the system to where we can get a nice grocery store in an underserved population. We can get a, a clinic, even if it's not a hospital, but a nice clinic in underserved population, okay? But on our own end, we can do different things to manage our own health. And like I said, one of it is the physical activity and what we eat, the things that we eat, and engaging in physical activity. And overall, we want a holistic approach. When I say a holistic approach is, yes, we want to eat healthy. We want to make sure we're moving, right? But how is your mental health, right? How is everything else around you? Your mental health is just as important because I, be- I believe uh, one of the uh, participants was that worked for the social security office mentioned that uh, in the sense that if um, uh, everything is going well, but psychologically, whether it's psychologically from a religious perspective or personal perspective, things are not right, then it's gonna affect you eating healthy. If you're depressed, you don't, nobody wants to eat broccoli when they're depressed. <laughs> you're looking for a bowl of ice cream <laughs> or some comfort food. Uh, so again, you need a holistic approach to better manage your health, okay? So when we're talking about nutrition in terms of lifestyle change, it's in your power, what you put in your body. And remember, whatever you put in, is what you're gonna get out, okay? So having said that, you always wanna think about balance, variety, proportion. And when I'm talking about that balance, are you getting too much broccoli over rice or are you getting too much meat over uh, um, uh, potatoes? 
you gotta balance yourself out. It's important to create a good balance with your nutrition because there is no one food that's better than the other. We all need a little bit of all the food because every food has its own nutritional value that it brings to the body, okay? So keep that in mind. French fries is not bad or uh, uh, cream of mushroom soup is not bad. They all have different nutrients that feeds to the body. Now the problem is, are you just eating a whole bowl of cream of mushroom, but you're disregarding uh, some chicken or some uh, broccoli or things like that in your plate. And that brings me to the variety part. I just have a quick input on this section. Yes. So um, yes. years ago, I got involved in, with um, doing a lot of physical training, you mm -hmm. know, going to the gym. And my misconception at that point was, oh, you know, you can work out to achieve mm -hmm. that you want. And that's one of the things that my trainer told me. He said, you cannot outwork a bad diet. Absolutely. And so he said a lot of your physical, you know, physicality has to deal with what you eat. It's about 90% of what you eat mm -hmm. and then about 10% coming to the gym and working out. So mm -hmm. that was um, an eye opener for me. Absolutely. It starts, with, it starts with your plate. Absolutely. Uh, your trainer is very, very right. And the funny thing is I get that it, it actually happened here in my home. My husband he went into this whole working out, but he comes home and he eats, eats. He's like, but I'm not seeing anything. I'm like, yeah, because you, you're you trying to overeat just because you ran two miles. Just because you ran two miles, you probably burnt 300 calories and you just ate a thousand calories. You're not going to see any loss. Mm -hmm. Yes, you're staying active physically, but weight loss, no, it's not going to happen. So yes, it's a very great point. And that goes into that whole balance thing. You have to balance things out, especially if you're trying to lose weight. What goes in needs to balance out with what's coming out, okay? Mm -hmm. Or even exceed. So you can't be eating 3,000 calories, but you're only burning 500 calories. No, if you want to lose weight, then you need to be burning 4,000 calories to have a deficit. Mm -hmm. Then you can start seeing some kind of loss, okay? Yeah. So, and I think that's a good point to bring when we're talking about proportioning. So proportioning has to do with how do you, Put your plate, and that's why if you look at the uh, diagram there or the picture there on my plate, it's showing us how our plate should look like. You should proportion your food. You should make sure you're having a little bit of fruit, vegetable, your grains, and proteins. That's the proportion, and that leads you to having a variety in your plate. Because when you proportion your food, then you have a little bit of a variety. Then your body is getting all the nutrients and the nutrition uh, that it needs to continue to be uh, healthy. And we already kind of mentioned this earlier, talking about plant-based. We need to make sure that we're thinking about plant-based option and as we're planning this uh, well-balanced plate. What can I add to make me go from a huge high-fat food eater or a huge carb food eater to plant-based? And uh, on this note, I want to add that a lot of times your vegetarians, I see that what happens is some of them often start loading up on carb food because they're trying to get full. So they're eating maybe a, tons of rice or a huge thing of potatoes. Yes, potato and rice are plant-based. But if you do eat excess amount of that, then you're not, you don't have balance. You don't have variety. And then, yes, you're going to gain weight. I have a friend that's a vegetarian, don't eat any kind of meat, but she's heavier than I am. But that's because she eats more of carb food and then her she's also inactive, okay? So again, don't mistake that. It goes in line with what you were mentioning, Tony, with your trainer. Uh, just because you're following a, different, a certain dietary pattern doesn't make you 
to automatically lose weight or look a certain way. You also want to make sure that you're following balance proportion and having a variety, a little bit of everything on your plate and choosing more plant-based products, okay? Jane, we have a question from yes. in the chat. So she says, being that food doesn't have the same nutritional value as it did 20 years ago, should mm -hmm. multivitamins be taken daily? I don't highly recommend multivitamins for several reasons. One of the primary reason is that your multivitamins are typically not FDA regulated, right? Since they're not FDA regulated, that means anybody can put anything in a multivitamin. So if you're going to take a multivitamin of any, uh, for anything, make sure that you do your research. Make sure that you read the ingredient. Try and go to the company's website, look up the, the, the science behind it or whatever data they have on, uh, on there before you start using it. The other thing is there's a, a logo. I think, I believe it's a USF logo you should be looking for. And that's a logo for certain companies that have decided, look, we're gonna pay for our own certification, okay? For people to certify and say this multivitamin is wholesome. So you can look for that logo, okay? The other reason why I'm not, I don't highly recommend supplement is that to be honest, we can get all the nutrients we want from the foods we eat. And your body prefers to get those vitamins from the foods you eat, because guess what? You may be taking multivitamins, but your body does not absorb vitamins the way it absorbs food. A lot of times, believe it or not, you may take a multivitamin, guess what? Only a fraction of it is absorbed by your body. The rest, you're pooping it out. So it doesn't really give your body full nutrition after all. But the vitamins and nutrients from the food you eat, your body is efficient. It absorbs everything and puts it in your body. So your body is using it. Your, your body gets what it needs from the food itself compared to vitamins. And again, it brings me back to the points I was trying to make in this uh, slide here about making sure that you are uh, cognizant about what's on your plate. You've got to always look at uh, what's on your plate. Whenever I teach little kids about healthy eating, I always tell them to think about the rainbow. Because guess what? Rainbow has multiple colors, right? So if your plate is not looking colorful, then you need to rethink that. You need to eat from a rainbow of colors because each color has its own particular nutrients. Cauliflower versus broccoli, yes, it's all very similar fruit, uh, fruit <laughs> vegetable, but they have different nutritional value because of the color, the pigmentation in them. Same thing with eggplant. So those things are called phytonutrients. Every color, every pigmentation you see, like tomatoes. Uh, tomato is red. It's got its pigmentation, but that pigmentation from what we've seen in study is actually uh, an antioxidant that can help fight certain cancers, okay? But you don't get that pigmentation in uh, eggplant. So every food is very different. So you want to make sure you're eating from a rainbow of colors, from a variety of foods, so that you're capitalizing on all the different nutrients coming from all those foods to nourish your body. Now, to summarize that question, there are some instances where you may need supplementation and it's okay. I'm not condemning supplementation. There are some instances where you need them. It's absolutely okay. But for a, a healthy adult, you can get everything from your food. Mm -hmm. Okay. Awesome. Great question. Yes. Yeah. Great question so far, ladies. Thank you. Uh, the one thing I want to highlight, and I think I already kind of uh, talked about this a little bit, is about healthy meal preparation. So it's very important to... Uh, 
pay attention to how we prepare our meals. And I just have a few pointers here. But the one thing I really want to emphasize is avoiding high fats. Again, we're in the South. We do prepare a lot of food in a very high fat fashion. So we need to start rethinking that. So instead of using a lot of high fatty oils and uh, sauces, how can I make my mashed potatoes? But instead of using butter and heavy cream, it's okay for me to just use a little bit of olive oil, a little salt pepper, maybe a little bit of garlic powder. And you have just a delicious mashed potatoes. I do it all the time. Everybody loves it. And I cut down on a lot of the fats and it's still delicious. So think of ways in which you can uh, uh, make some healthy substitution. Another thing is cooking with spices. I already mentioned that, making sure that you're cooking with spices. It adds flavor and it adds nutrition. One thing I also want to mention is just because of the group of women uh, population I'm talking to is we love our green vegetables as a community, but how do we cook it? We overcook it. And then it doesn't have much of a nutrition anymore. So the next time you're thinking about cooking your greens, saute them. Saute them really quickly and you're still keeping the nice nutrient. Whenever you cook or boil any of your vegetables, whether it's broccoli, whether it's green beans, uh, any of your vegetables, you are killing the, uh, the, the, the vitamins in them. Remember the vitamins in the foods you eat are very, very delicate, very delicate. Any little heat can destroy it. So you don't want to overcook them. So really quick flash cooking gets the food cooked and you still keep all the nutrient intact in the food that you are preparing, okay? And then of course, the limiting eating out. Eating out can be very, very, uh, it's fun. It's a way for us to go have some nice fun time with our friends, but you don't wanna do that every single happy hour, every single weekend, because guess what? When they cook out, they're cooking for the masses. So when you're cooking for the masses, it's salt, it's butter, it's all of those things in there. So we wanna make sure that we're cooking and uh, we're not eating out as frequently, maybe once a week or every other week, that's okay, okay? So the other quick uh, lifestyle change I wanna emphasize is physical activity. We gotta get moving. It's okay to park at the very end of Walmart and walk, it's okay. When you go into Walmart, walk around. Even if you found the things you're looking for, just take time to walk around another extra 10 minutes, just browsing. With that, you're getting physical activity without knowing it, okay? Uh, go outside and garden if you have a garden. Go outside and mow your lawn. Clean the house, okay? I know uh, sometimes we get busy, we want a cleaner to come clean the house. It's good too, but on a daily basis, you can actually move around. All of that adds to your physical activity. And this is a recommendation. We want at least up to 150 minutes a week, which equates to about 30 minutes every day for five days. You can, you can cut it short and do three days. That means you may have to go for 15 minutes each day, but it's up to you. But the whole point is, Get your body moving. Any little activity works. Uh, even if it's uh, yoga, meditation, Pilates, anything. Yes, there's COVID-19, but that should not be an excuse for anyone. YouTube, YouTube. I love YouTube. Log on to YouTube. There's so many, many, many workout. Uh, Taibo, walking, indoor walking. You have um, uh, uh, a lot of uh, the, um, uh, strength training without any weight. You don't need weights to do exercise nowadays. So just go on YouTube, search some easy, quick workouts. You can do 10 minutes, you can do 20 minutes. But the whole idea is the body, God created the body for movement. And if I want to go back to the, uh, the uh, olden days, they were gatherers, they were hunters, they moved around. Now we have technology, it's great, but 
we're killing our bodies when we don't move around and do what we're supposed to do. So we need to continue to move around and uh, remain active, okay? So why are we concerned about all of this? So to sum all of this up, these are some of the good benefits that we're getting from making lifestyle changes, from trying to uh, 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 eat healthier, exercise more, get educated, get access, then you have improved health outcomes. So you're able to prevent certain chronic diseases. Now there's some of the genetics, you, we, genetic, uh, and we don't have choice over it. So, but we can delay the onset of it. Or if you already have high blood pressure or diabetes or overweight, then you can still manage yourself to where you prevent from the case being a worst case scenario. For example, someone that's diabetic, if you manage yourself very well, then you can prevent yourself from amputation. You can prevent yourself from having glaucoma or ending up on dialysis. So that's the whole idea of why we want to make sure that we're paying attention to our eating style, uh, being physically active, okay? I also mentioned the mental state. Uh, I don't know about everyone in here, but for me, a lot of times when I have a lot of my mind, I like to go outside, go exercise. It helps me clear my mind. It helps your mental state. So being indoors, again, it's COVID-19, being indoors a lot of thinking make us go crazy. So <laughs> it's good to get out, get out, move out, get some fresh air. You know, there's some science out there that the trees release certain types of uh, chemicals that communicates with us uh, that helps kind of gives you, it gives you this kind of peaceful mindset. So go outside, get some fresh air. Uh, you want that because again, uh, health is a holistic approach. The one most important thing I always want to mention is your life expectancy on quality of life. Do you want to be uh, 50 and you're in a wheelchair or do you want to be uh, in your 80s and 90s and you can't even move and you're having to be moved around? Or do you want to be 80 and you're still traveling and having fun? That's quality of life. And how do you achieve that? You want to achieve that with healthy behaviors, lifestyle changes, lifestyle behavior, watching what you're eating, uh, exercise, having a regular routine exercise, keeping your body strong. Because again, we know research, tons of research supports this. It tells us so. So we want to make sure that we take into our hands. So if the systems cannot fix things for us, then we need to stick it out and start doing stuff for ourselves to uh, keep us uh, healthy and going. So how can you access some of these resources? I discussed this with Tony. For some of you that are still on here, just know that if you work for yourself or you're working with an employee and you have insurance, oftentimes your insurance companies uh, under the Affordable Care Act can cover your preventative services at 100%. Or even if they don't do that 100%, you have a very minimal copay. And what do I mean by preventative care? going to go get screened for diabetes, going to go do your physical to make sure about blood pressure and all of that, uh, seeing a dietitian to get nutritional counseling, all of those you should not be paying anything if you have insurance, your insurance covers that because guess what, from a financial standpoint, your insurance will rather keep you healthy, collect your insurance money, than have you an admission at a hospital where they have to dish out thousands for your care. So it's, it's easier for them to pay me or the doctor or psychologist, $100, $200, whatever the cost may be, then paying 20, 30,000 for a surgery. So that's why they make this preventative care free. So if you don't know that, your insurance covers that. And please take advantage of it, uh, uh, take advantage of it okay? Other resources out there, especially when there's cost, that's like a deter uh, deterrent factor, 
there are so many, I work for the city of Houston. We had a lot of programs and it, 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 it hurt my feelings when I go out into a community, people are like, oh, I didn't even know you guys have free dental care or you have this. There are free services out there. Take advantage of it. Some of, some of the times they don't even ask for income. They just, it's in the community because your taxpayer money pays for it. So your local health department, they have services, your local YMCAs, a lot of faith-based organizations now have different things that you can tap into to get free nutrition classes or free access to dental care or things like that, okay? So that brings me to the end. I know we had a lot of great questions as we we're going on, but I'm still gonna be on here if anyone have any other questions. Any questions, ladies? Comments? I think she touched a, a lot of bases. It's definitely a lot of information, um, especially when it comes down to culture-wise and you know the way that you were raised and so on and so forth. So very familiar, very familiar. So. Great. This has been a very rich conversation. I, I, I think you ladies would agree. I see you've unmuted, Renee. Did you have something you'd like to say? No, I just wanted to say it's been very informative. And, um, you know, one of the things that I struggled with is I don't eat enough. And that's even worse when you don't eat enough because you still build fat up in your body. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and one thing, Renee, about that is when you're not eating enough, your body go becomes like a I think those polar bears, like they your body starts to hybrid, uh, uh, hoard things. It's like, well, she's not feeding me well. I don't know what's going on. Let me keep hold on to it. Yeah, let me hold on to it because she may starve me to death. I need a backup plan. So uh, uh, it's almost like you have to eat to lose weight, but you don't want to overeat. You want to eat the, again, going back to the proportion, but you want to constantly feed your body. You want your body to understand and gain the trust that, hey, Renee is constantly going to feed me. So because I know she's going to feed me, I need to let go. But if you're not going to feed me, then I need to keep holding on to it. Okay. It affects your metabolism. Your body's metabolism is thrown up. So that's why usually people are like, well, I, I skip meals. I'm like, no, don't skip meal. Now it's one thing if you're practicing those intermittent fasting, mm -hmm. but completely skip, skipping meals and saying, I'm not going to eat because I'm trying to lose weight can do the reverse to your body. And you know, depression has a lot to do with, you know, okay. not eating or overeating um there have yes. been times where i've been an emotional eater yes know, and not really eating anything bad but just just eating for no reason mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. and, and that's not good either so no no and, and remember that's why i mentioned that whole yes we're talking about uh ways to manage chronic condition but that holistic approach it makes a huge difference you know when your mental state is not there, and we've all gone through it. We've all gone through some men emotional, mental uh, uh, situation, especially this year. This year has been very heavy on everyone. So we can easily find ourselves just like, I don't care. <laughs> you just eat. And then remember, uh, too much of everything is bad. Even if you're just sitting there eating carrots all day long, at some point, you, your body is going to be like, oh, it's a lot of carrot. I don't know what to do with it. Okay, fat. Or, oh yeah, I'm drinking plenty of water. I don't know what to do with it. Let me store it in. And you're just gaining weight. And you're like, well, I'm just eating carrots. Yeah, you're eating way more than your body can handle. Your body don't know what to do with it. So it's reserving the rest as fat, okay? So yeah, so, but having a strong mental state, major, major factor 
to making sure that you also balance your nutritional intake. Because if your mental state is not there, yes, it's definitely going to affect your food intake. And that's where it becomes like also a holistic approach to where we start tapping into other uh, uh, healthcare professionals to make sure the person is well-rounded and covered from every aspect to make sure that person's overall well-being. Tisha, I see you've unmuted. Did you have a comment or question? Yes. Um, I wanted to get her intake on about um, fast, not fasting, but um, detoxing. Okay. I, I believe in detoxing, and some people say they don't, they never detox. They just move from one eating habit to another. But in between them, I think you should detox. What do you think? So I'm glad you brought that. I'm one of those people, I don't detox. <laughs> The reason why I said your body is actually a natural detoxifier. Your body detoxes itself. You can undo what God has done. Uh, it's like your eyes. Do you know how many things go into your eye every night? And when you sleep, your eyes like naturally cleanses itself. That's why when you wake up, sometimes you have those little, I would, I would say, mucus and stuff. Yeah, that you have. Yeah. So your, your body, your eyes is cleansing itself. Your skin, you don't do anything to your skin. What, what happens? Your skin peels off a few times a year. It's naturally healing itself. That's a natural process for the body. So same thing with inside your body. God is created in such a way that it turns over itself. You have no idea how many cells inside your body uh, destroys itself and rebuild back on a daily basis. So to me, uh, detoxifying, not necessary if you want to do it. Yeah, but it's not necessary. It just boils down to your food pattern, okay? So switching again from eating all those high-fat foods to incorporating more plant-based foods. Are you incorporating more fruits and vegetables? Because if I ask you now how you're detoxifying, it's probably all those juices, right? You're probably using beet juice or carrot, uh, celery juice. That's that's the most... No, those, okay, I so, think by fasting. Okay, by fasting? Yeah. Okay, so again... Your body, that, your body would, it would do that. Uh, I, I'll give you an example of fasting as well. Let's say you cut out eating. Uh, for most of us, if you work and you're early riser, you probably go to bed at 10 o'clock. From 10 until 12, your body's on a na natural fasting phase. You're not eating while you're sleeping. So your body's regrouping, recuperating for the next day's activity. So, but again, like I said, I don't condemn detoxing. I don't tell people not to do it but personally i don't it's not something you should be going out of your way to do because your body naturally does that for you your body naturally detoxifies itself again you have no idea what goes on into the body goes on in the body on a daily basis it's constantly turning over it's constantly healing itself constantly but you have to do that by feeding your body the right foods well, thank you so much for your uh, for your time jane thank you ladies for your questions, for your input. This has been a lot of great information about our physical health. Um, it's all in the hope that we would not only be listeners, but be doers, right? And uh, as we become doers, we change our habits, we influence, um, you know, our, our, our surroundings, our, the people around us, our children, our families, you know? So this is great information like I said, again, to listen to, to implement, and to start making changes. So Jane, how can we get a hold of you? How can we reach you with additional questions or, or, or utilize your services? 
So I have Facebook. Uh, I am also on Instagram. All I post every day are tips. Of course, you can email me and my email is here. It's, oh, sorry. I accidentally, let me pull that back up. I respond to emails very well. So you can definitely email me for additional questions or uh, services. I do a lot of one-on-ones. Of course, I love I love speaking. So I do a lot of speaking and then I do one-on-one. So uh, I, I, I believe my passion is chronic diseases because I have a lot of family members or that have passed from chronic conditions that I personally felt would have been avoided if they knew better. And your insurance typically covers that. So depending on the insurance you have, they may tell you, hey, you have three services in a whole year to go talk to a dietitian, or you have a limited number of visits in a whole year to go talk to a dietitian. So check with your insurance company. You shouldn't have to. And within your network, there should be a list of dietitians or any healthcare professional that if you need preventative services, you should be covered to go uh, use those services and please use them because uh, putting on my public health hat, that's how we prevent diseases, right? If you don't know that you have low pre- high blood pressure, then I'm seeing you at the dialysis clinic at some point, but you have to use those uh, preventative services. Go do your mammograms, go do your health checks, go do your diabetes testing. It's okay. Yeah, if, if it comes out that you're diabetic, so what? then we can start early to manage yourself versus being scared of not wanting to know. But when you find out it's, you know, pretty severe. Awesome. So um, that is, we can reach you. Your website is www.encorephc.com. And that's E-N-C-O-R-E-N-P-C-H.com. A Facebook, you can be reached at, uh, Encore NPHC. So that's at E N C O R E N P H C. Your Instagram is Encore underscore nutrition. And then your email is um, J U J O A T U at Encore N PHC.com. So those are the ways that we can reach you for further. Uh, questions or uh, utilize your services. Again, really appreciate you. Appreciate what you've done, what you continue to do. You're, you're out there doing God's work. Mm-hmm.